You're listening to the story of your life with Nick Jaina on X-Ray FM. This week's conversation is with a man in Utah thinking about evolutionary psychology. started getting into this sort of thing, just learning about human beings, um, because it was, it was probably in the 90s, actually. I ran into this book called On Human Nature, uh, written by Edward O. Wilson. He's a biologist. He studies ants. That's what he was famous for. Um, and I was just looking for answers, you know, like why why people are the way they are. Because in popular culture, you know, as a youngster, there there really weren't any answers. about evolution that explained things like, you know, just behavior, sex, why we crave certain things, why we shun other things, uh, was really eye-opening and to the point that it had such an effect on me that I started to just look at everything through the lens of evolution. I mean, everything... You know, if I was looking for a reason for something, it, you know, it was always there was always some. I could, I could even if I was inventing the explanation, I could come up with a plausible explanation using um, evolution.
you know. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of where it started for me with Edward O. Wilson. And, you know, I started dabbling a little bit in comparative religion too and found and found that Buddhism was kind of the only religion that interested me in that and that it seemed the one that was since I was really into science it was the only one that that um didn't seem to take its myth as an historical fact um and it seemed like you know a science of the mind and it was old it's really old um i recently uh, so in this in this course this is an aside but on this course that i was that i'm i've been watching these lectures on um he interviews this this he's not a monk but he's uh he's a famous he's a famous meditator Buddhist meditator anyway this guy tells a story of being a youngster uh, around the time of World War II and being a just being really interested in each eastern culture which was at the time I don't know if you remember but the United States was at war with Japan but he was really into eastern culture and then he ended up traveling to the east and learning all about meditation and he said that there was some point where he felt like he had um after years of meditation had climbed the top of the peak of of eastern culture just had seen the best of what humanity had had come up with and that was this kind of this Buddhist meditation the science of the mind from their perspective and he said he stood on the mountain and he looked all over the world looked across the planet to see if there was another peak anywhere and the only other one he saw was western science and so he he started studying science and um and and it's starting to combine them in interesting ways now. And I sort of feel, I feel, uh, I really, I mean, I'm not into Buddhism really in the way that, you know, a meditator is. I've never been to a retreat or anything like you have, but I sort of recognize it as, as something that works in a way, in the way that Western science kind of works. Yeah, and com- contemplative environments, and I put playing music in that category too. No, it wasn't difficult for me. Um, in fact, now I live in the city in Salt Lake. I spend the majority of my time alone here, you know, in a little studio, 
to write or record, etc. And I have to make a conscious effort to go out and be amongst people. Because I sort of feel like that's necessary, you know, just to be being in a in a crowd or just among friends. I think that's good for your. And well, I can only speak for myself. I guess. I think it's good for me once in a while. But being, you know, being in the desert, you're really alone. So far away from any human footprint or or uh, you know civilization that uh, yeah you just you're really alone and I really I really enjoyed it. It's terrifying. It's really terrifying because you feel small and insignificant, but you also feel connected. I think a lot of people use the uh, spiritual terminology like it's so vague, but they use it as um, as fact. It it's difficult to describe. You know, uh, have you ever? You know what? When you come to Utah, I'm just gonna drive you out to a spot, and you can just go walk around for a day. <laughs> I'll come back and pick you up later. <laughs> and uh, and that'll be my way of describing to you what it's like. <laughs> it's gonna be this place uh, that's. Well, it's near Randy's farm. It's bleak. There's no water. There's no trees. Just be you, Mancos Shale, and and your your thoughts. <laughs> Sounds great. So you you might go crazy. I feel like uh, I. I've almost gone crazy out there before. Like, you know, touching the shores of insanity, but not really, not really getting on land. I probably told you this before. Do you remember that... uh, uh, there was one New Year's Eve where I had this terrible fever. I don't know what happened. I ate something. And so I had this all these delusions or these they weren't like hallucinations. They were just I felt like I was peeling the layers of personality. Peel it, like peeling a layer of personality off and and then peeling another one off and then peeling another one off all day long. Until finally, I I um, 
felt like I was getting down to some insanity, like some part of myself that where there wasn't anything, where it was just kind of the abyss. I feel like that's a common experience. Um, well, I don't know if it's common, but I've talked to other people that they're like, yeah, totally. There wasn't anything. You know, that, that abyss, that's that thing that you're, uh, you're constantly trying to ignore. You know, I can't really describe it. I just remember thinking if I go any further into this desert, like I need to turn around and go be with some people. Or if I keep walking, I'm really going to lose my grip on, on sanity. So I turned around and, uh, and I went to the patio and hung out with people. <laughs> And I felt much better. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's an evolutionary reason for that. <laughs> um, well, yeah, because we're social animals. Monkeys groom each other. They spend a lot of time grooming. And uh, human beings spend about the same amount of time um, talking uh, gossip with each other. <laughs> you know, the so that, that, uh, that dark abyss is really the most interesting thing. I could think of to talk about, but I have no idea what it is. <laughs> so I can't even really talk about it. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, yeah, hanging out with people will sort of um, dispel those thoughts, but they're still down there. Maybe they need to be dealt with. I don't know. I feel like that, those thoughts, those ideas, that that abyss or that thing that's scaring you is is uh, the most important thing to look at, to figure out. That maybe that would be resolving that, or even just. at it from a lot of different angles um, would have benefits for your, you know, your everyday life, including your interactions with other people, you know. I mean, I feel like that's what pretty much all the great religious traditions are based on, you know. All of uh, all of you know modern philosophy 
everything is sort of dealing with that um, mental abyss. It's kind of a crazy thought. Maybe it's just a, a, some sort of evolutionary blind spot where, you know, we have this this intelligence that evolved for a certain purpose, but there's no way it can look back in on itself very well without without coming to to a place where it can't see itself, you know? That sounds crazy. Instead of thinking of of the human mind as uh, as like two different things, like you have your brain and then you have some other essence that's controlling it all. Really what you have is your genes, like you were saying, and and your environment. And they're they're sort of acting together to create this you know, one one uh byproduct of those two things is that they create a, an identity or a sense of self or something that's kind of running the show. <laughs> It's because uh, it's very costly to art is like um, a it's like a display like the peacock's feathers it's like a way of saying look I'm I can create this beautiful thing because you know if, if somebody can create art it shows that they're good at a lot of different things you know and and then maybe. The female or male, whatever the opposite sex, would uh, think that that person was attractive and want to mix their genes together. If you're if you're a good uh, composer, you know you're probably a good problem solver. Um, but you know, think of what you're creating as. You know, really, it's just a display to attract a female. That, that's a humbling idea. And uh, it's hard to imagine that being the end of the story, but <laughs> it explains a lot. Hard to hard to just to say that that is the end of the story. Because of course, you outgrow the reasons you maybe you started something in the first place. Imagine picking up a guitar as a teenager. My students, they, you know, they want to 
bless their high school sweethearts with their guitar, you know. How many songs have you written for a lady? Too many. Well, from an evolutionary perspective, you've written all of them for a lady. <laughs> episode featured music from the Satellite Ensemble. And a conversation with David Williams.